I think it's helped me become a better listener. I think it's helped me understand people a little bit better. I think it's helped grow compassion in me. Um, but it's also just a really good feeling to mm. go there. That was Eli Schramm, a 17-year-old high school student, audio engineer, rap singer, songwriter, and the volunteer at Samaritans of Boston for over two years. He started his journey there when he was just 16 years old. I remember hearing about it for the first time and not knowing how to respond or react to that. So instead, I decided to respect Eli's decision, but paid close attention to his journey that, in my opinion, required so much patience, courage, and compassion. You are listening to the Face World Podcast. This is your host, Fei Wu. I share stories from sung and unsung heroes who are just like you and me, who are willing to share their views of the world deconstruct their success stories that are relatable, applicable. Show notes, tools, and resources are on my website at phaseworld.com. That is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D. If you like this episode, please check out the other ones also on my podcast. The best gift you could ever give me any time of the year is a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or a podcast source of your choice. I also welcome that you share my podcast, Face World, with families and friends. Now, on to my conversation with Eli Schwamm. So welcome to the Phase World podcast, Eli Schramm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. I am so psyched to have you on my show because you are going to be the youngest guest probably for a little while. Cool. I was going to say recently, and I realize it's not so recent anymore because you've been going at it for about a year now that a year ago, when you're only 16, you started volunteering at the Samaritans. And, uh, you know, I had a very mixed feeling knowing you, you know, watching you grow up. I had a very mixed feeling of even that's something that I wouldn't, that didn't really come onto my radar, even though personally I've experienced, mm -hmm. um, you know, not super close friends committing uh, suicide, but sure. um, young people. Uh, I remember when I was doing in college, I found out that three um, of the kids from my high school committed suicide. Yeah. Um, a year younger than I was at the time. So yeah. um, tell us about your, how did you find them? How mm -hmm. did you, how that opportunity even come about? So the story of how I found it, sporting event or something like that, and there was this uh, exposition of a bunch of different groups in the community. Um, and each had a little array of candy that, you know, to, in to approach the booth. So... I went to the booth that had the best candy, which is the <laughs> Nestle Crunch from Samaritans. So I was intrigued. I guess the Crunch Bar served its purpose closer to two years. Mm. But it's it's been a really important... I think it's helped me become a better listener. I think it's helped me 
understand people a little bit better. I think it's helped grow compassion in me. Um, but it's also just a really good feeling to go there. Wow. Um, why, I, I think why is it so good. I, I was that was my next question. Yeah, sure. I mm. I really feel like I'm useful there. Mm. I think we want people to appreciate us. We want people to love us, to to value our existence. Mm. Uh, actually, some of the most deeply disturbed callers talk about feeling like they have no purpose, feeling like nobody needs them and nobody wants them. Um, and that is really why we're there, is to just listen and be compassionate and try to sh express to people that, you know, there is, there are people who still want them there and people who need them and people who care about them. Um, what are your roles there? Like, if you walk, uh, you know, you're there all the time, I feel like, you know, we got <laughs> to schedule this interview around your volunteering, uh, uh -huh. you know, opportunities there. So could you walk me through what is it like to, to show up? What, what do you do? Sure, yeah. yeah. So it's on the fourth floor of a small office just outside of Chinatown mm -hmm. in Boston. Um, and it has one room full of all the, the call receiver people, which is really nice because that fosters a real community amongst the people who are taking calls on your shift. Um, and then there's a one room of administrative people and there's a room of people who do uh, instant messaging support. Wow. So, yeah, which is like, I don't even know how they do that. That's, it's the phone already feels a little bit detached. I don't know how they do it via the computer, but they do. Um, I would say as for the, there's really only three-ish positions that you can have. You can be a member of the staff, which is pretty limited, so, because we're funded by, you know, public grants. Mm -hmm. um, and, or you can be a volunteer either for the IM service or for the phone lines. Um, and there's a range of people that do it, which is really wonderful. There's men, women, uh, young individuals like myself, older people. So, it really does feel like a like a like ev like everyone is represented, um, yeah, which is nice. So, how many people are on the floor like full time? I don't know if there's any full time employees. Sure, yeah, no, it totally us. changes. It totally changes. Mm -hmm. um, we're open twenty four seven, so mm -hmm. sometimes at like two in the morning oh on a Wednesday, uh -huh. it's going to be pretty desolate. There's probably going to be one person there taking calls. Mm -hmm. um, on uh, Saturday or Sunday morning, mm. there's going to be as many as six or seven, sometimes even eight people there. But there's never like 30 or 40 people. We just don't have the infrastructure to support it. So it's an area that we can explore a little bit because to give people a sense of the traffic, the amount of the volume of the call that are coming in, mm -hmm. do you think you have enough people to cover? Or oh, no, not at all. Wow. Um, we answer about 40% of the calls that come in and that's doing really well. Yeah. Um, we get on a busy shift, we have six or seven people getting back to back calls for the mm -hmm. entire, uh, three or four hour period. Mm -hmm. Um, and granted, I think it's important to mention that not all of the people, in fact, a small percentage of the people that call are actually, uh, what we, what we call imminently suicidal. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've been at Samaritans for like two years. I've answered hundreds of calls, and I've had 
only you know five or six calls from people who at that moment in time we are concerned that they are going to try to take their life mm. um, what we get a lot more of is people who have been struggling uh, people who call you know once or twice a week that have been struggling for years uh, and that need a place to to vent a place to be we try to be that mirror that I was talking about earlier mm -hmm. um, we have a policy, a strict policy, actually, of not giving any advice mm. um, for two reasons. One is that we don't know. We're not, we, we're, we're, you know, we're very removed from these people's lives, and mm -hmm. we don't know what the best course of action is almost ever. Mm -hmm. um, the only advice we do give is advice on how to keep people safe if they are, look, if, you know, if they are indicating that they're going to try to take their life. Mm -hmm. um, the other policy that we have is that we're really there to listen and be supportive. So we always believe whatever the callers tell us, um, even if it's something that we know isn't true. Mm. Like I, if someone were to say, oh, I'm Barack Obama's you know, lover or something <laughs> like that, then you know, the point is you have to believe them because a lot of people that call are alienated. Um, there are people who suffer from mental illness that gives them, you know, that makes them truly believe things that nobody else believes. Like, Barack Obama lover thing. That's not an actual <laughs> example, but, but um, and and we a lot of times people just need to be heard and listened to, and that's really what we exist for. Mm -hmm. How long, how long typically are each one of the phone calls, and and I wonder how people's mode and of operation, mm -hmm. or that as long as much as you could detect change from beginning sure. to end. Sure. So the thing is, this is actually one of our most controversial policies. We end every phone call after 10 minutes unless there is concern that the person is about to end their life, in which case we continue the phone call until we know that person's safe. Mm -hmm. But every other phone call, no matter how much someone is struggling, we end after 10 minutes. And that's tough. And sometimes it's awful. And you're in the middle of talking with someone and we always give people a minute warning, but you're in the middle of talking with someone and they're starting to open up and then their time is up. We always encourage people to call back, but we just wouldn't be able to answer any, any, any calls. We'd answer like three calls a day and mm -hmm. three calls a shift instead yeah. of like 30. Yeah. Um, so it's hard. And in many ways that points to, I think the fact that there is no, the, the work that we do is, rooted in pragmatism. Uh, I would love to say that I, you know, that I save lives there. I, I don't think that's true. I think I just am a person who listens. And that's all we are. We're a person, we're people who listen um, for, for 10 minutes, for as long as we can spare until someone else needs to be listened to. So as a result, I realize uh, there are a lot of, uh, much of my curiosity in your towards questions of this particular domain and I feel like if I want to learn more you know perhaps one day I should stop by and I don't know what the policy mm -hmm. is around I don't actually know either um but I do know that they have a website mm -hmm. uh, it's like samaritanshope.org mm -hmm. uh, and it has all kinds of information they have a lot of different services they also offer uh well, they will have people drive out to your home if you have a loved one who's committed yeah. suicide mm -hmm. and provide you with support they have support groups for that kind of situation. So they have all different kinds of services. Um, and all of them are actually well described in the, mm -hmm. in the website. 
I don't know. I, I could I, I could always look into like having a guest there, but I don't know. Uh, I heard great things about it, and unfortunately, one of my coworkers suffered from um, in an event uh, with a yeah. family member, and sure. he informed me that um, Samaritans are super helpful when it comes to support group. Mm-hmm. Um, to a degree that they didn't even expect, they didn't know what to expect, and they were very yeah. surprised. So, you know, the even before your volunteering role as Samaritans, you had spoken up very early on in your life, if I remember correctly, 12, 13 years old, and you talk about wanting to be helpful um, to other people mm-hmm. in your life, and... I feel like this may not this might not even be uh, you know an accident. I think it's mm-hmm. it's done almost on purpose. I think I definitely I stumbled into it by accident. I think mm-hmm. I I you know because it was a it, I had to do like a twenty four hour training period plus another nine hours of listening to calls mm-hmm. um, in order to uh, in order to actually start working there. Mm-hmm. So it is, and I, I owe them because I went through that training. I I owe them nine months of three hours a week. So I've fulfilled that at this point, but so it was, it was a big commitment. Um, so I was, I wanted to do it and I think I wanted to do it because of, you know, what I said before and that I think it's a, a fundamental human desire to be wanted. Mm-hmm. And one of the best ways to be wanted is to be helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I feel really, I, I think I get as much out of feeling helpful as the person whom I've helped Sometimes more even, to be honest. Mm, wow. um, and, you know, it, it, it works. as It's a pretty positive cycle because when you help a lot of people, mm-hmm. I mean, this is, guys, it sounds, like, it sounds like something that you'd read in, like, a kindergarten book, but it's true. Mm-hmm. When you help a lot of people, they're much more willing to help you when you're struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, and the biggest difference, I think, is that everyone will help someone if it's convenient. Mm-hmm. It's, I think, when it's inconvenient, who helps you is who you know are your real friends. I completely echo that. I mean, I remember this was maybe a year ago that we there was a survey at work and to talk about you literally circle one to ten. How do you feel about these questions? And mm-hmm. one of the reasons was what makes you love most about your job? And at the beginning, there are questions about, you know, I'm learning something new. I like my clients. I get to experience all these like cutting edge technologies. And I remember the last question was because I'm able to help others. I'm able to help people. Yeah. And it came to me as my goodness, that's a 10 for me. And mm-hmm. I remember I'm almost curious enough to ask other people. And I did speak to a few of my friends and that was the same thing for them. Yeah. You know, I realized my, the beauty of me going to work to say that, that's interesting. They could just be a coworker of mine who's not even working on my project. Yeah. Be like, do you know how to solve that Excel problem? The problem itself could be completely insignificant, but yeah, I love that. And those moments, those are the moments I always cherish for. Yeah. So it's and absolutely it's true. It's making that human connection that yeah. I think is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to really help people who are, who are struggling. Like I've been yeah. trying to solve the problem for two weeks now. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I'm familiar with And it's this. so much, it's so much when you are on top of the world and feeling great, Mm-hmm. It does not take that much energy to help someone, for the most part. I mean, there are some some truly intractable problems, mm-hmm. but for the most part, you can you can lift a finger and make a pretty sizable difference in someone's life. Mm-hmm. And then when you are in the other end and you are devastated and you have no energy to spare, mm-hmm. that other person lifting a finger for you mm-hmm. will 
will make a huge difference for you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to this wonderful story from Eli Shrum. To learn more about Samaritans, please visit their website at samaritanshope.org. That is S-A-M-A-R-I-T-A-N-S-H-O-P-E.org, where you can learn more about how to get help, services, volunteering opportunities, and other events. Samaritans has been providing compassionate suicide prevention programs for over 40 years. They have provided caring, non-judgmental support on over 2.5 million calls from our community's most vulnerable individuals. They have provided workshops and training on suicide prevention to more than 100,000 individuals in human service organizations, churches, and community groups. And they have supported over 10,000 individuals who have lost a loved one to suicide. Samaritan Services would not be possible without the help of their dedicated volunteers. Learn more about how you can help prevent suicide. Thank you so much for listening. To listen to more episodes of the Face World podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or visit faceworld.com. That is F-E-I-S-W-O-R-L-D, where you can find show notes, links, other tools, and resources. You can also follow me on Twitter at Face World. Until next time, thanks for listening.